to the Kirk. Let, let me start over again. I don't remember who I am or where I am. But I was in Athens a year ago, and uh, the, 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 on the Areopagus, and in the background on one side you have uh, you have the Parthenon. On another side, uh, you have Zeus's temple. Uh, over here, you have the, the great library and the place where democracy was born and all the temples there. Back there, you have the school uh, of Stoicism uh, and where all these great philosophers were. So no matter where you stand on the Areopagus, you look smart with that background. And so they bring Paul there. And that's where we come in this morning from Acts chapter 17. Listen for the word of the Lord as it comes to us uh, from this marvelous book of Luke Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to, to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him and said, what does this pretentious babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. We would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling and hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who created the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all peoples to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the place where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. Here ends the scripture reading, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My eldest daughter was married this year, uh, just a few months ago, in Columbia. Uh, not Columbia the college, Columbia the country. Because what father doesn't want his 20-some-year-old daughter to live in Columbia? But she was an international studies major, and she made friends from all over the world, and she liked the Colombians the best. 
So she moved there without speaking the language, learned the language. Now she's a translator down there, and she found this wonderful guy, and they were married uh, this, this last spring. So uh, for the first time, uh, Tamara and I went to Colombia. Uh, we flew in, uh, and, and uh, what I experienced as we're flying over this new continent, new country, was just how much you learn from 20,000 feet. You look down and you can see the mountains are so steep. Uh, the, the rivers are, are so full. The, the, the jungle is so thick. You learn a whole lot from 20,000 feet. And I thought, well, that's really true of the Bible, too. Sometimes we're not going to learn the most from, from being down in the woods and the weeds of each word and each passage. Sometimes it's really helpful to get the big picture view and remember just where it is that we are and where we're headed. So for the next few weeks, I've got a few sermons from 20,000 feet uh, to help us uh, come together and get to know each other, but also come together around the word in a big picture way. Uh, now, uh, I, I want to say our question today has to do with salvation. What does Jesus do for us? Um, our answer would be salvation. Um, what, what is that good news of the gospel? Um, we proclaim it every week, a sense of sin and forgiveness. This is, this is a part of what Paul uh, leads us into in, in particular, uh, that we have that sense of sin and forgiveness. It's, it's very important. Now, let me say it's rather daunting, and I'm just going to catch my breath here for a minute. Uh, <clears throat> it's daunting to be at such a great church in such a renowned uh, community with such impressive and extremely uh, accomplished people. Uh, honestly, it's very intimidating. So um, I would like to do a quick survey if you would help me with a, with a show of hands. Is there anyone here today who has never told a lie, uh, I mean, of any kind, a bare-faced lie, an exaggeration, even a, even a white lie about that Christmas sweater that you got last year. Has anyone here never told a lie? If you would, please raise your hand. Uh, don't be shy. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, the second question, is there anyone here who has never stolen anything? Uh, I mean, never in your life, never shaved a little bit off your taxes, or maybe you saw a penny on the ground, it wasn't yours, but you took it anyway, or maybe you walked off with somebody's pen, or a bar of soap from a hotel, extra hot sauce from Taco Bell. Uh, would anyone here who has never stolen anything, would you please raise your hand? Okay, thank you very much, that's very helpful. You see, this is an intimidating place to be, but... Now that I know I'm with a bunch of liars and thieves, I feel right at home. <laughs> See, the church is not uh, a sanctuary for perfect people. The church is a place for, well, it's a hospital for sinners who are healing, and getting a new beginning. So we have Paul's message of sin and forgiveness, and it is deeply meaningful to us all because we feel that forgiveness and that love, and we know that Christ died for us, and that love is ours. Paul uses a word, metanoia, um, which one of its meanings is uh, repent. Uh, repent and be forgiven. 
Uh, and and uh, that is so important as a, as a salvation message that we need to be forgiven. But it's only one message. This was driven home to me um, one Sunday, uh, a, a young woman in high school uh, talked with me. Um, she was a bit hesitant at first, but once she got talking, she really made an important point that, that changed me and changed my way of thinking about things. She said, uh, you know, uh, she understood the prayer of confession, but she said, I am 15 years old. I'm in a highly competitive school. My classmates are judgmental of me and of each other and of themselves. The teachers are hard on us. The culture around us makes me feel like I'm not good enough, pretty enough, or skinny enough. Uh, and I internalize all this judgment. I'm 15 years old and I have a therapist because I have an eating disorder. And then I come to church and I hear how bad I am. And I thought, wow, she had a point. Sin and forgiveness is important, but for some people, that's not the part of the gospel that they necessarily need to hear at that moment. So from then after, I always put in the liturgy, not just in Jesus Christ we are forgiven, but in Jesus Christ we are a new creation. Uh, Marcus Borg talks about this in terms of umbrella concepts in the Bible. That, that there's not just one overarching way that we're saved, uh, the sin and forgiveness, but there are all of these other images out there, these umbrella concepts that help us to experience the different dimensions of God's love, the different, the different kinds of salvation that we really do experience and we see in the Bible and in our lives. So I'd like to just remind ourselves of some of these big picture umbrellas um, that, that, that help us to think about the gospel. Um, and, and you may, uh, you know, I, I sometimes like to take a piece of paper, divide it down the middle, and, and just put bad news of the world and good news of the gospel in two opposing columns just to make it clear. Paul talks in this passage this morning about idolatry. What is idolatry? It's about trusting in something that isn't trustworthy. You know, putting your life on the line for this thing. And, and how many times do we still put our lives on the line? We, we, we put so much energy into something that can't be trusted. Uh, and, and so Paul comes with this good news um, of, of, of a God who can be trusted. He uses this word metanoia, which means turn around, turn around. Sometimes we're on a journey and we need to turn around our lives. That's what these other concepts help us to do. For some people, it's about idolatry and, and about being set free from, the, from the, the hypnotic gaze of these things that promise what they cannot deliver. For other people, the bad news is hunger. They're starving. They need food. It's that simple. And the good news that we have is the good news of Jesus Christ who feeds the 5,000, who inspires his disciples to share and give, and, and that giving feeds. And, and we know that we could feed the world if this message spreads. The good news of the gospel for some people is people who are generous enough to share. For other people, they have a different kind of bread that they need. 
they're starving to death for meaning. We live in a time when all sorts of people are really feeling like life just doesn't mean anything. And therefore, we have the gift of the good news of how God loves each and every one of us and how God guides us and is with us and that God's Word will feed us and that feeding will help us to come to a sense of the fullness and the goodness of life. In a hungry world, God feeds us practically and spiritually both. For other people, the bad news is political oppression. Jason Stanley is a a professor at Yale who's written a couple of books about how fascism is spreading around the world. And, And as he talks about all these different countries, he says these, these systems have uh, 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 something in, in, in common, and that is they're built upon myths, uh, a basic myth that divides the world into us and them. And, and, and us are the good people, and they are the bad people. And, and this myth keeps on talking uh, about how the, the, the bad people really are worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon, you have a justification uh, because you have now defined them as evil, and evil must be destroyed. So you have a justification for hating all these other people. It's a recipe for genocide. And in this genocidal, bad news world, Jesus gives us the good news. The good news, how does Paul put it? No longer slave nor free, no longer male or female, no longer Gentile or Jew, but all are one in Christ. That sense of unity is something that can transform the world. In a bad news world of division, The good news of the gospel brings people together with a sense of all, all being created in the image of God. For some other people, the bad news is forgetfulness. Uh, They forget the history of the world. They forget the history of oppressed people uh, through racism or sexism or xenophobia. Uh, we forget our history. Walter Brueggemann spoke here, right? He's, he's spoken here. I, I love Walter Brueggemann. When, when he talks, and he talks about the collective amnesia of the culture, you know, it's like, yeah, wow. And, and, and in this world of built-in bias and hatred, where we're motivated forget, to forget The Bible comes through with the good news, and time and time and time again it says, remember, remember, remember while you were slaves in Egypt that God came and set you free. While you were slaves in Egypt, you were treated in this horrible, oppressive way, and now you are treated in God's love, and that's how you are to be in the world. Remember that you can share God's love and be part of the creation of a new world and redeem these oppressed people. The Ten Commandments says it very clearly. And in a world where people uh, often uh, justify that might makes right, the Bible reminds us that 
that we do not have to follow the divine right of kings or, or, or the word of religious leaders uh, who, who can have, be guided by hatred or, or by presidents or prime ministers that would be destructive, but rather we have the Ten Commandments as a foundation of the rule of law and, and that we are called to live into that new creation of Christ, finding in love the ways to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. There are all these ways that we are saved. And the scripture explores these different experiences of life and how people can be saved. One of my friends is a prominent psychologist. Um, I asked him, you know, what do you see as the, the bad news of the world and, and what's the good news as you see it? And he said the bad news for him was about hurt, illness, brokenness. That was the bad news for him. Not, not brokenness because somebody was sinful, just because life is tragic and people end up broken. And so the good news for him were stories like the, the woman who was bleeding for 20 years and Jesus touches her and heals her. Jesus is this healing presence of God that comes to us. And you know, you stop and think about it. It may be you, maybe somebody you know, but hurts can go on for a long, long time. And those hurts can end up destroying us. But Jesus heals. I once knew a Christian woman. She was dying of cancer. She was very public about this. I found it hard to talk with her at first because my mother died of cancer when I was uh, very, very young. Um, but, but in talking with this woman, she had such peace. And she talked about her faith and how she was journeying in faith in, in the face of this life-threatening life uh, condition. And her faith healed part of my pain. In a bad news world of tragedy, Jesus comes with good news of healing and hope. I think the Bible starts out with a, a, a world of, of, of a potential bad news. Um, it says in the very first verses that, that, um, that, that, that God uh, encountered the chaos. Uh, the, the chaos, that's within the first few verses of Genesis. The, the Hebrew word is tohu vabohu. It's, it's a phrase that isn't used anyplace else in ancient literature. Um, we, uh, we translate it uh, chaos. Nils Dahl was one professor I knew, and, and he said, yeah, I think of it as cosmic custard, okay? It, it, it was just chaos out there, and in a bad news of a chaotic world, God brings order. You see that in, in, in Genesis. You see it in Exodus when they're set free from the slavery of Egypt. They, they're out in the wilderness, but, but uh, these people start acting in a chaotic way. And so God appoints leaders. He appoints elders. And over time, the elders reform things, and, and, and what had been a chaotic situation becomes more and more a blessing of the good creation. We still have orders today, don't we? We still have elders today, I'm sorry. We still have elders today. 
Um, if, if we all tried to make decisions as a whole, it would be chaos, it'd be a mess. But God appoints elders as part of the continuing creation story of redemption to bring order in the world. When we listen to the elders, when we trust the system that God has given to us, then the problems of life and the church begin over time to have a sense of order. And, and as the Bible says, day after day after day, as God is creating this creation, it becomes good, it becomes good, it becomes good, it becomes exceedingly good. Well, thanks for flying high with me today at 20,000 feet above the concept of, of redemption and salvation. Um, it matters. It matters that we have an awareness for all the different people whom we might encounter in the world and for the different experiences we have in life. There's a lot of pain in the world, a lot of tragedy. And it matters that we have these concepts in our head that we keep on exploring them. Um, so, so we'll come down from 20,000 feet and land the plane and look around and say, what is your bad news? And what's the good news that God gives to you? What have you experienced? How has Christ saved you and how is Christ seeking to save you? And what is the bad news of the world as you see and experience? I mean, out there in the world. And what is the good news that we have to offer as disciples of Christ to spread God's love? We live in a world of pain a world of tragedy. And to that bad news, we have the good news of the new creation of Jesus Christ. It is up to us, uh, as, as the Shema says in the, in the Bible, to, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. With all our mind. And sometimes we need to look more deeply at the Bible and our faith and our tradition and to see all the ways that God is offering us hope and health and healing and feeding and justice and grace and goodness because God in a bad news world has good news for us and good news for all. It is the love of God. It is the grace of Jesus Christ. And it is up to ours to receive it and to share it. Amen.